Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I want to thank everyone for listening, and I hope you are doing well. You know, we're in the midst of the holiday season, and I really hope everyone is taking some time to spend with their family and friends and loved ones and creating new memories and enjoying the traditions that are meaningful to you and and your family. It's a really great time of the year to reflect. And I think we have a lot to reflect on uh, just given what kind of the last year or so has looked like for us and things have looked so different. And while there may be this expectation, you know, we always hear this is the most wonderful time of the year. For many, that's just not the reality. And we have to understand that there are many people who are struggling right now. Um, they're, they could be grieving a, a variety of different things. Um, they could be mourning the loss of a loved one. And the holidays have a tendency to kind of bring all that back up to surface. And so we're going to talk about that and just talk about those feelings of, of sadness and how, you know, how do we try um, to best get through during times like this. And so I have a really special guest with me today um, who's going to talk about grief and specifically grief as it relates to children. So I'm really excited, excited to have Miss Katie Burkett on the show today. Hello, Katie. How are you? Good. How are you, Andy? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So Katie is a program coordinator at Fernside and Fernside is a really special organization here in greater Cincinnati. And I'm going to, you know what, Katie, I'm going to turn it over to you just to talk about what Fernside does and how it is such a tremendous resource in our community. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. So Fernside is a children's grief center and we are the second oldest children's grief center in the country. We are actually celebrating our 35th anniversary tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. 35 years of supporting children and families in the greater Cincinnati area. Um, Our first support group 35 years ago um, on December 16th had 16 kids in it. So um, that 16 number kind of carries carries some meaning there too. So we were founded 35 years ago by Rachel and Paul Burrell, and they started Fernside because um, their young adult son, David, had passed away um, tragically in a bicycle auto accident. He was riding his bike and he was hit by a car. Mm -hmm. And Rachel and Paul had surviving children and they were like, we need some support. We need, we need something. Mm -hmm. So they started Fernside in their home. Mm-hmm. And when they started Fernside, um, like I said, it started with only about 16 kids. And um, the reason we got the name Fernside is because 
David, their son, went to school at Walnut Hills High School, and there's a street perpendicular to Walnut Hills that's called Fernside. And I never knew that. I, I went to Walnut, and I know the street that you're talking about. Uh-huh, yeah. Wow, what a connection. Yeah. What a connection. Yeah, so um, da- David used to tell his mom, can you pick me up at Fernside? Mm-hmm. And that's how we got our name, because she would pick him up on Fernside Street. So we have many families that come through our office and we tell them that story and they even go on a field trip and they go see the actual street, the location that Fernside got our name from. You know, we don't sell ferns. We don't, uh, we're not a flower shop. We do get that even though flowers are an easy way to uh, memorialize a life and things like that. But Fernside is a special meaning because that that's something that meant something to um, the Burrell family. So Fernside is Rachel's legacy. 35 years later, we're still honoring and moving forward with that legacy. When you walk into the doors of Fernside, she's the first face that you see. So Rachel's very special to us and all of the Fernside staff is very honored to continue her legacy of supporting grieving children and families. And like I already said, we're the second oldest children's grief center and we provide peer support groups for children ages three to 18 and their parents are legal guardians. So families come to us and um, we usually take them through like a registration intake process and determine if, you know, our program will be the right fit. But um, we serve the whole greater Cincinnati area. So we have satellite locations all around the city. We've got seven. Uh, We are returning to in-person meetings here in February. So we've been virtual since COVID happened. So almost two years. So, so talk to me a little bit about how the, how the virtual has been going with, with uh, your, the children and families that you work with. Mm -hmm. So about two, almost two years ago, we're right on the cusp of two years. There was a lot of uncertainty as the whole world was uncertain. What are we going to do? The world is going virtual. And at the time, first, the world just shut down and there was, these services weren't even being offered. And then when we figured out we could offer the virtual format, uh, we were so used to doing in person, that's all we knew. So we adapted. And um, I'd say that's definitely a, a core value at Fernside is adapting because one of the things that we do is we meet children where they're at in their grief mm. and we had to meet them we had to meet our children and families where they were at uh, where we were all at we didn't have an option to, to meet in person right. so we took the virtual format on zoom by storm and what we did was we took all seven of our satellite locations that meet in different parts of the city geographically they're spaced out to cover like the north side, east side, west side, downtown, and then we've got three different nights in Blue Ash. And what we did is we took our families from all of those locations. We kind of had to identify, you know, who wants to try virtual, who wants to wait for in person. At the time, we thought virtual would only be for a little bit, not not two years. And what we did was we divided kids by age group from all seven locations, and we put them into Zoom groups. So our schedule has been for the first and third weeks of the month, we have our kids meet and we've got pre-K through second graders on Monday. And then throughout the week, it increases by age group. So Tuesdays are third, third, fourth Mm -hmm. and fifth graders. Um, Wednesdays are sixth, seventh and eighth graders. Thursdays are the teens, ninth and Mm twelfth. And then on the second and fourth weeks of the month, we have the adult group. So it's Sometimes it turns out to be every other, but we like to stick with first and third, second and fourth. The adults are in the virtual groups divided by type of loss. So we have a spouse loss group 
a child loss group and then we have an adult mixed loss which is just kind of the all the other um, adult losses that they may have experienced so it's been going really well Um, a lot of families are wondering if we'll still continue a virtual option we're not sure at this time to see what that looks like i think we want to go in person first and then (laughs) kind of figure out where we can put the the virtual pieces in but i think we've got to kind of transition um, now that we've gotten permission to do so, but it's gone really well. Our That's great. preteen group are, I mean, the little, we call them the littles. They're the <laughs> pre-K through second graders. That group is huge. We've got a handful of volunteers that volunteer on that night. We have to keep adding more because the technology portion is most difficult for that age group. A yeah. lot of parents and legal guardians have to be a little bit more involved <laughs> on that night. Recently, we had about 30 kids on that group. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we put them in breakout rooms. Um, so their most re- recent meeting, there are about 30 kids, and we put them into smaller breakout groups so that there's like five or six kids in a breakout Okay, group. yeah. Because having all 30 of them, That'd it's, too, it's a little bit too much. Yeah. 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 And then for like the middle school group, sixth, seventh, and eighth, we break them up actually by age groups. So they get into groups of just sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders. So every group is a little bit different. Okay. But um, we always break them out into a smaller group. Mm-hmm. I'd say on average from like six to 10 kids um, because we want them to be able to really have a space to share. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about, because it is, I, I just, I can feel it coming through just your words and, and just your expression. What You're very passionate about this work and the work that you do. What What led you to this? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that, Andy. So I have been um, a staff member at Fernside for almost a year. This upcoming January will be my year mark, but I've really been around for about a decade. So my father passed away unexpectedly when I was 14. And I I was in eighth grade, the end of my eighth grade year, heading into my freshman year of high school. Um, very transitional time for all kids. And my dad died right at the end of that eighth grade year. Mm, and um, I'm very sorry. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing your condolences. It's, it's been a while. So I always, you know, it's nice when there's an appropriate time to kind of incorporate that story. Um, my family ended up going to Fernside mm. and we participated for about two years in the program, my freshman and sophomore years after I participated there's a program called the pit crew at Fernside. It's philanthropists in training. And I knew right away um, when I stopped participating that I still wanted to be involved because I, every meeting that we had with Fernside, I was like, okay, you know, if we had other activities going on, we were going to miss that. So we could go to Fernside. We knew this was important. And I also had a twin brother that came to the groups with me. So oh, wow. my mom, you know, our whole family attended and I have an older yeah. sister too, but she was old enough where she didn't come to as many, you know, she was getting ready to go to college. So she didn't come to as many meetings, but it just meant a lot to me. And I knew I wanted to get back. So I joined the pit crew, helped with orientation and uh, we do orientation in our office and I would help give tours and just help in the office and do anything they might need. And then I went to college. And then in the summers, I would still come back and volunteer. And towards the end of my time, I was at Ohio University. Um, Fernside was starting a young adult group in the summer. And they needed someone to help. We always have pizza before our groups. And 
we offer the pizza as a part of the program and they needed someone to help serve the pizza and kind of talk <laughs> to the young adults. Cause I was a young adult at the time, uh, still am, but I was younger then. And so I came and I, I came to this college group and I met a bunch of other kids who also went to Ohio university and I was getting ready to go into my senior year. And we were all like, Hey, we should meet up. Like when we go back to school. So we started like our own support group at school when oh, we got wow. back. So there were four of us. And that was really awesome to be like, we could, you know, once you've, you've found the people and made the connection, it's like, we can do this anywhere. Graduated from Ohio university in 2017. And I knew I, if I was coming home to Cincinnati, I wanted to be a part of Fernside. So went through facilitator, facilitator, um, training right away that first fall that I was home, um, facilitated for about three years, I think. And then mm -hmm. the position opened up and I applied and here I am. So I wow. call this my promotion of a lifetime to be back at Fernside. My life has very much come full circle <laughs> and to be giving back to families. And it's funny, some of our volunteers have been with us a very long time and I coordinate two of our group nights. One is the East side, which is like my home location. That's where I came to Fernside. And my original facilitator who facilitated my group when I was a teenager is still there. So wow. um, I not only, you know, he was my facilitator and yeah. then I was also a facilitator alongside him. And now I'm the staff member who oversees the group that he is still at as a facilitator. Wow. So I always tell people that I'm like, you see this guy over here? He's my <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's come full it, circle for sure. And that, I, as you say, full circle, it's, you know, your story is so interesting to me because, you know, it is personal for you, right? I also, I have a friend who her husband volunteers at Fernside because his father passed away at a young age and like, that's how he got connected to Fernside and now he volunteers. And so it's just, I think it's so uh, it just, I don't know, it just, it really fills me up to hear that, you know, the, what the mission and what you do, it's so deep and so personal to you and that you want to give back in that way. I just, I think that that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to do. So, and I know, I know it can be tough work. So I, I thank you for everything that you do. Um, yeah, thank you. What, what would you say, do you have like any, how do I want to ask this? I know we've talked a little bit about different phases of grief and I, could we dive into that for a little bit as it, you know, relates mm -hmm. to children? There's so many things we could cover. So I'm like trying to, <laughs> trying yeah. to kind of keep us on track, but go right ahead. So um, what we've done at Fernside over the years, we have kind of broken down that we call it the developmental stages of grief. So, and that's kind of the backing of why we've got our kids in groups by age group, because we know that grief is going to change throughout the lifespan. And based on your developmental age, there are different signs of grieving children that correlate with the age that they're at. So that's why we've got um, our, what we call our littles, like the younger ones. That's really, really it's ages like three to like five, Okay. And really, it could be like newborn to five, but under the age of three, there's really no concept of death. You know, okay. kids at that age don't have a concept of death. Death is imaginary. It's like a figure that it's hard to believe. A lot of kids at that age 
it's really that pre-K, kindergarten, first, second grade. Um, when people die, they think that they're going to come back or they don't understand the permanence of death. Mm-hmm. So you might see kids role-playing, like if um, sometimes kids, you know, they have a little kitchenette or when they're playing with their friends, they might, they might role-play different things and they might actually role-play things about their person dying. Those are all like natural parts of their grief Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden this person who was a part of their life isn't there anymore. And um, now they're like almost interacting with them as if they're still here. And they're like this imaginary friend almost. Um, Okay. Yeah. So that's how they process. That's how they're processing. Yeah. Like you if you could picture like a young a little girl a five-year-old and say her mom died and she's maybe she's trying to imitate a tea party and she's got a place setting for mom Mm -hmm. and we know mom's not there but but that's how she's memorializing mom and thinking that's her now that's now her way of interacting with mom so kids at such a young age they don't understand death and they really start to Um, sometimes they lean into like regressive behaviors. So you might have a child who, when they were younger, they used to wet the bed. Mm -hmm. Now they're wetting the bed and reverting back to even more childlike behaviors that they have grown out of. It's because something so intimate and, um, it could be, it, it could be a tragic or traumatic death. It's just kind of infiltrating their life and it's making them go, you know, their body is kind of reacting in that way too. So they don't really understand what death means. So when we talk to kids at that age, it's really important to use, uh, to meet them where they're at and use words that they can understand. It's also really important to use words like died or death because we want part of grief is also educating kids on, you know, this will be a part of their life. You know, it's going to change throughout the lifespan. And it's unfortunate that kids this young are experiencing loss, but if, if we're not educating them and telling them what it means now, they'll hear about it later on, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. they'll continue to hear about it. So using words like, you know, mommy died, um, and rather than passed away, because passed away could be confusing. Like, what does that mm-hmm. mean? And it almost seems like death and died. It almost seems, that, and that that that's a great point that you bring out, because often, um, you know, in, in our <laughs> field, and we work, we work in loss, a lot as well with organ and tissue donation and we work with donor families but our tendency is to say passed away because it it seems to have a softer connotation but mm-hmm. I, I totally get what you're saying as it relates to children you have to m- make it more clear I guess for lack of a better term yeah we also want to make sure children don't have like misunderstandings right um, and, you know, they don't really understand the concept of death. And one way that we oftentimes might explain it is your heart stops beating. Mm-hmm. So there's all different kinds of causes of death and, and types of loss. And that can also make explaining to a child, whether you choose to explain it or not, how they died. Um, maybe you decide it's not important for them to know how the person died. They just need to know that they died. And you can use words like their heart stopped beating. If you put your heart on your chest, you, you feel your heartbeat. When you die, your heart stops beating. Ways to actually get them to understand um, what it means when you die. So we we love that age group. They're really fun. Um, I think they know more than we think that they know. <laughs> so I agree. <laughs> they really, one thing we do at Fernside, and I'll talk about that throughout this, is expressive arts. And it's a fancy word for arts and crafts. We mm-hmm. don't call it arts and crafts because 
these are things we do to express our feelings. Mm -hmm. And we know when kids are grieving, they have a difficult time verbalizing their feelings. So that's why we do expressive arts with them so that they find other outlets to express their feelings. And um, that kind of leads me into that next age group. I'll touch on each age group. Mm -hmm. And the next age group is that third, fourth, and fifth grade age group. Um, This is what we call the middles they really start to understand what death means and how it implicates their security, um, Mm -hmm. worrying about other people dying. And what's important also for the previous age group, the younger, the littles, is a schedule. Having a schedule, knowing what's happening. Maybe you eat breakfast at 9 a.m. every day, or maybe um, you're going to school at the same time every day. Maybe your family sits down to eat dinner every time every day at the same time, keeping a schedule for, for kids is important because Mm -hmm. something unknown has happened, right? They, they're still trying to, they have questions and third, fourth and fifth graders, they do start to have a lot of questions. They want to know what happened. They start to ask why giving them a maintaining a schedule that lets them know we can keep some kind of consistency Mm -hmm. when the feelings and the emotions are very confusing and all mixed up is very helpful. So that's one Mm -hmm. way that we can help kids too, is kind of keep them on a schedule. Now there's naturally going to be times where you're like, you know, it's, it's not going to happen this night. It's not the the schedule didn't go as planned today, but that's grief. It's not going to go as planned. Right. And it's okay. I think you have to give yourself some grace. Um, with your kids and and with your family life, because you're trying to sort through these feelings. And if things come up and it's okay, if we didn't eat dinner right at six o'clock, like that's okay, but just give them something that they can anticipate knowing some kind of normalcy. Mm -hmm. That's why we encourage keeping on normal schedules. But the third, fourth and fifth graders are probably one of my favorite age groups because they do start to understand what death actually means. Mm -hmm. They understand the permanence of death and that's when they start to ask questions. But when kids start to ask questions, that's where we we meet them where they're at. Um, We give them age appropriate answers. And for parents and legal guardians, I think that's really important to know if the cause of death is suicide and you, you haven't told them up until this point, maybe it's time and and maybe they deserve to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe, maybe it's an overdose, maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's just time for you to talk through those different things that can be really challenging. We talk to a lot of families that, uh, that sometimes, sometimes they don't want to disclose a cause of death, or maybe they do, but we can always talk you through what you feel like is appropriate for your child. What does your child need? Mm-hmm. Uh, parents and legal guardians also know their child best. So uh, that's why we always come back to meeting a child where they're at. Maybe it's okay right now for them not to know, or maybe they need to know. Um, but this age group, like I said, they ask a lot of questions. Um, they, they do, they start to have dreams and nightmares a lot too. Mm. And one thing, one activity I love, I love to share that we do in Fer- at Fernside is taking a pillow and we have little pillows here that are like those tie blankets where we, you get pillows like on Amazon, just little ones. And then we use that fabric and we tie the fabric around and it leaves little pockets where we can put notes in the pillow. And we have kids write, um, what are positive things that you want to think about before you go to bed? Because things that are correlated Mm. to their dreams are things that they're thinking about. And most of the time they're thinking about their person who died or all those mixed up feelings, and then it's coming up in their dreams. So we encourage them to think about those happy thoughts by just sticking those happy, positive notes in your pillow. So when you go to bed, um, remind yourself what's in the pillow. Think about those good Mm. things. Mm. So it's something Mm. they can keep close to them. 
but that age group really they really love the expressive arts they are they get so creative um i'd say all of our age groups do they're very powerful in watching them create something through their grief because you might have a child who doesn't talk a lot and then you give them something to create with their hands and now almost their grief sometimes makes sense when you mm -hmm. see what they've created say you give them some model magic and you say create something that reminds you of your brother who died mm -hmm. and then they create something and you're like okay you know the the pieces start to be put together we do hear parents worry sometimes that you know maybe my kid's not crying or they're not sad or i don't hear them talking about it mm -hmm. we have to create space to talk about it but what's important at every age group that we talk about at fernside is to have role models that um, are teaching kids about those healthy coping skills. And one thing that we can do is also create space to talk about memories. Mm -hmm. But also if, if you don't see visible signs of your child grieving, sometimes at this age group too, children might just go back to doing what they normally do. Mm -hmm. You could be presenting them with horrible news that, you know, this person in their life died and then they want to go back outside and play basketball with their friends. And you're like, what, what's going on? Like, yeah. The natural thing to do would be cry or be sad or go in your room. And, and sometimes that's their way of processing. And every child is different. Every child will process their grief differently. So if you have multiple children and one is going to cry and wants to be in the room and wants to be alone and the other wants to go be with friends and go to the shopping mall and act like everything's normal, then that just has to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, their grief will come out over time, but especially in those immediate moments of grief, um, every child will react differently. Mm -hmm. So I think we just have to be okay with that. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when we get into the preteen age group, so sixth, seventh and eighth graders, relationships become really hard. So the um some people would call preteens like that dreaded age group of like oh middle school um we <laughs> love the preteens at fernside they are so creative about expressing their feelings and we work very diligently our our volunteers who make up most of our um, direct service volunteers are the bulk of our program we have over 100 direct service volunteers um they have different lesson planning that we give them it's called our fernside idea book and it breaks up activities by age group too, and they can kind of pull just the right thing. If you've got a child who is talking about a certain thing, okay, I think we're gonna talk about feelings today. One activity I love for preteens and teenagers, it's called Grief Jenga. You just take a, a set of Jenga blocks and then you put different questions on them. Mm, it could be, okay. you know, what's, what's something that reminds you of your person who died? Or um, how are you feeling today? Or, um, what was something that what's something that makes you angry and it, it could be specific or not specific um but that really gets preteens and teenagers talking a lot but um the the middle school aged kids too you know they they've got a good concept and grasp on what death means but the relationships and change other changes they're going through in their life make their grief very complicated. Mm -hmm. So we're going through puberty and right. wondering about relationships and we're thinking ahead towards high school that becomes complicated. Um, they might start to, you might see struggling in school. It becomes very hard to focus when a child is grieving. And 
um, there shouldn't be an expectation that when we're grieving, we can do everything the same that we did before because we can't because right. something has changed and we're working through it. And I think that's why we have to give respectfully. We have to give kids grace. You know, we need to be able to move forward in a healthy way. And that's what, that is our focus at Fernside is helping families have these healthy coping skills to figure out how to move forward mm -hmm. because we don't want you to be stuck in your grief forever. Mm -hmm. So um, the middle schoolers at Fernside in the past year on Zoom actually had a talent show because through talking about their grief, they made so many wonderful connections and we realized we need to create space, a healthy space for them to show each other their talents because they haven't <laughs> met each other in person. I love so that. they're super fun. But, you know, one of the main things I would say about this age group is relationships and it's it's the intimate ones. It's just friendships and it's kids start to, you know, do I play basketball, baseball or football? Do I do all three? You know what? But I do want to encourage families too. we work with a lot of kids in schools and in our evening program. And one thing that we tend to see a lot are. You know, I've sat in a group before and heard a kid say, well, and it was a sixth grader. She's like, I've got dance and I've got cello and I've got soccer and then I've got my youth group and then I have to make time for homework. And then I'm in this club. I'm in the student council. And then it's like, you're also a grieving child. Right. So where do we make space for our grief? Mm. Because we have to. We really have to. Um, I've got a, a family right now that I'm working with and. Um, this one particular sixth grader, she's got volleyball on Wednesday nights, but that's a conflict with Fernside. So she comes to Fernside instead. And mom was like, she really loves volleyball, um, but she really likes her Fernside group. And I think that's so powerful yeah. when parents give permission that it's okay, yeah. that you can miss volleyball every other week to make yep. time for your Fernside group. I'm going to allow you to do that. I think that is such an important point to emphasize because you know, our society now, it just seems we are overcommitted, overscheduled, we're, you know, and a lot of times that can be used as a way just to kind of push away feelings and emotions as, as you were referencing. And so I, I just, you saying the parents giving permission and saying, yes, this, this is a, this is good. This is going to help you in your development, as you talked about, developing those healthy coping skills. And uh, I just think that's such an important reminder for people today, because we just seem to be on the move all the time and we can't sit still. And that's really important um, to be able to kind of just lean into how someone is feeling and processing that grief. And so I just, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we see it all the time. And we're, you're, like you said, we're always on the move. We're getting to the next thing. <laughs> if we don't deal with our grief, though, it'll build up over time. And if you have a fifth grader who lost their dad and, and never dealt with the grief, then they're going to be a senior in high school and they're still going to need to deal with it. Um, we've got to talk about the hard stuff to make room for the good stuff. So we talk about all those hard feelings at Fernside. Um, we, you know, we talk about what makes you angry, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what, what other feelings are you feeling? And then we talk about those healthy coping skills, like how do we release and talk about, and, and number one is, like I said, healthy, having role models, teachers, coaches, uh, youth ministers, 
pastors, just friends, um, older siblings, who are the people that you can go to, creating space to, to honor and talk about our, our people who died. And you'll also hear me, you've probably heard me refer to it always as your person who died. And the reason that we use mm. that terminology is because we never want to assume that every relationship a child had with their person was a loving one. So wow. there might be a child who's grieving who didn't have a loving relationship. They're still grieving, um, but to them, it might not have been love. Um, it was a bunch of other feelings that they're trying to sort through. So mm. we always refer to it as your person who died. That is just, that. that's so deep. I mean, so again, here we're in, in, in our work, we always refer to our donors, the, the people who gave the gift of life um, after they've died. Uh, we, refer, we refer to them as, as loved ones. Because that's just what we've always used. And in talking with the donor families, your loved one, your loved one. But what a great point of clarification, because that's so true. It may not have been that kind of relationship, but they were your person. They were in your life. Right. Yeah, sure. Wow. And um, and and. And my dad was also um, an organ donor too. And you really? just brought that up. It made me think of that and how we never really stopped and really processed that, um, you know, he, he was an organ donor, but it's, it's so wonderful that these two things can be connected because there are so many people giving the gift of life, but, mm-hmm. but grief is, is so closely attached to that. So I feel like this is a wonderful partnership for us yes. um, to be connecting here on this platform and just talking about what families are kind of going through when they're grieving and, and they're processing all of this. And that kind of leads me into, I just want to touch on the, the teenagers really quick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy working with this age group. Teenagers, um, they're special for sure. All the age groups are grieving teens. Um, we definitely start to see them. They're thinking about the future. They're, you know, usually um, very focused on their extracurriculars and their in school, but they're thinking about the future and what comes next. And sometimes we see kids start to pull away from their traditional family life. Mm-hmm. Um, they start to pull away from their family and maybe they get closer to their friends. Mm-hmm. Some kids though have trouble making relationships at this time in their life though, because they've lost someone close to them. So now they're like, I don't want to get close to someone else. What, what happens to them? You know, what mm-hmm. happens to me when they die? Or, you know, what if they die and, you know, I'm stuck going through this again. So I hear a lot of kids say, I have trouble trusting people. I have, they want to be independent. And that is great, but we also need to have support systems is what I'm always constantly reminding teenagers of is you want to be independent. You sometimes they want to move forward because it's like, man, I just want to get out of high school. I want to get out of this part of my life and move on. It's going to be a a whole new me, right? Well, your grief is going to stay with you. You know, it's it's Mm going to keep changing and you'll carry it with you. And we still have to build that support tree. Sometimes I visualize it as a tree where we're building those branches. We're building those branches of support and that can be family and friends, different people, whoever, whatever family means to them, Mm -hmm. that can be what it is. But just to encourage them to still lean into the people that will support them Mm -hmm. because we can't do it alone. We can't do grief alone. And 
we also see school a lot of school problems come up with high school age kids. Not everyone, but it's very common. Grades may drop. Um, having trouble focusing because their mind is so consumed with all these complicated feelings and they're, it's their grief. It's mm-hmm. their grief stopping them sometimes from doing things that they used to be able to do as a quote unquote, you know, normal teenager. Right. And now things don't feel normal anymore. Right. And it, they've got that grief um, to deal with and work through, but love, love that these, these kiddos want to be independent but also always encouraging them to have a support system and lean into those healthy role models again, journaling and exercising. We encourage all of all the healthy coping skills, talking Mm -hmm. to people. And like I said, creating space is such an important part of the grieving process, sitting down at the dinner table and just saying, you know, let's talk about memories of dad. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about memories of grandma, whoever it was um, around the holidays, we're, we're getting, we're in, the, we're in the holiday season right now. And how do we create space and not leave it as the elephant in the room? Yeah. Um, it, it might be making us really sad this time of year. And that's okay too. That's okay. If maybe your normal holiday tradition isn't something that's going to help you in your grief right now, it's okay to walk away and say, I don't mm-hmm. need this right now. Right. Just um, kind of creating, at, creating that space for that, making those boundaries for yourself. And taking that expectation off. Because I think that can be tough too for people. Mm -hmm. We So at Life Center, we have um, a donor family council, which is comprised of donor families who are in different stages of of their loss. So they may have lost someone 10 years ago, and we have people that lost someone a year ago. Um, And we actually just had a meeting. And one of the, one of the reoccurring, themes that they always say is we love getting together in this group because we want to talk about our person. You know, we want, we want people to know their name and and the kind of person that they were, and they don't want people to forget that. And so I just, I think that programs like Fernside and what you offer allow, allow individuals to do that, to just keep those memories alive of their person, which I think is so important. Yeah. Create, creating a safe space. Um, Mm -hmm. and families can do that too. And and friends can do that and just create a space, especially, you know, you, you talked about families who maybe their person died 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we deal with kids who maybe their person died when they were in second grade and and now they're in eighth grade and they have very few memories, but they're, they're latching onto those memories for dear life, because they're like, I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget those few memories that I have, but talking about them helps us remember or talking to other family members about that person helps them learn. Like what are things they didn't know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think creating space and, and honoring our people who die or you, you can't go wrong. I think it's, it's just creating space to talk about it is creating space to heal. Yeah. And we all need that. Yes, absolutely. So Katie, do you have, are there resources? Um, obviously, Fernside.org is a great resource for people. Are there any other resources you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so we've got a lot of resources on our website, which is Fernside.org. And we've got, we have recommended book lists. So we have different um, book lists that we 
refer families to for if you're looking for a book for a certain age or um, there's some really good books on like an introduction to death, like talking to kids about death. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff like that. Um, we do have lists of, so we do also do phone consultations and we have okay. long conversations with families about working through, you know, our registration process. And sometimes people just call us to have a consultation like, Hey, this came up with my kid and I just want to talk to someone. And sometimes they might be looking for more of a one-on-one -on -one counseling or a family counseling type setting. And we do have a list of counselors that we um, send to families and those are all recommended by our current bereaved families. So that list is compiled of grief experts that are recommended by our actual um, Burnside families. Okay. So we'll recommend that oftentimes. And then um, we've just got a general list of other support groups in the area um, that we'll send um, to families. And we're very connected with other grief centers in the country. Um, one is the National Alliance for Children's Grief. They actually have a tab on their website that's called Find Support. We are a part of um, the National Alliance for Children's Grief, and oftentimes we'll have people call and they're like, hey, I've got this situation in Maryland, you know, do you have any um, grief support groups? And we'll go right on there and you can just look it up by state and then it will give you all of the grief support centers by state. So the National Alliance for Children's Grief is a great resource for um, finding things even outside of this region. And they have a wealth of other information too on how to help children who are grieving and different resources like that. Okay. We, we will absolutely have to do another episode. So I hope that. Yeah, sure. Will, <laughs> um, as I really feel like we kind of just scratched the surface today, um, but you have just you are a tremendous wealth of information and I really appreciate you just taking the time to speak with me because I, I believe that this will help many of our listeners who, who are struggling. I just, I wrote down so many things. I have all these notes of things that you were saying, but I loved when you, you did, you said you got to talk about the hard stuff to get to the good stuff. And I just, that, that just brings so true in so many aspects of our daily lives. Um, but especially as we're talking about grief and loss and, um, and then also building the support tree, the branches of support. I, I love that. And again, that's, that's so important because I think there can be a tendency sometimes to try to isolate when you're going through a time, you know, a tough time and you're, 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 you're sad and you're, you, you know, you're mourning the loss of, of someone of your person. And so I think it's important just to build that tree and know that, you know, there are people that you can talk to and be vulnerable and, and talk about how you're feeling. Um, and then the expressive arts, I think that that was, that's amazing. What an amazing program that, that you offer to, to the kids and the families there. So as we close, is there anything else you'd like to like to say? I just wanted to mention, Andy, um, really quick, all of our services are free of charge. So we have wonderful um, donors who get to our program who allow us to um, offer these services free of charge. And when our evening program, like I said, it's going back in person in February and we, we'll be able to resume those pizza dinners with our family too, which is just such a great time for them to break bread together. And, and we're able to offer them not only a free meal 
because um, sometimes it's hard to, to get dinner ready and put it on the table when you're right. grieving, but then provide them that safe space. Um, but I just wanted to mention that the program's free of charge. The easiest way to register is to call our main line. Okay, what's that um, number? Our main line is 513-246-9140. And any one of our five staff members can uh, take an individual through the registration process. You, it's just a paperwork process, but that's the way to get it started. And the okay. initial call just takes about 10 minutes. Um, you know, we're located in Blue Ash, which is a pretty central location where we're also an affiliate of Hospice of Cincinnati. So um, we work closely with their grief grief program too. So lots of resources. It's called the Goldstein Family Grief Center. They've got a wealth of resources and knowledge for, um, they work with children, but uh, most of their services are connected for families who go through hospice, but they have free support groups for adults as well. So we're, you know, if there's an adult who it's, or it feels like Fernside's not the right fit and they're looking for adult services, we can send them that way too. Um, but I just wanted to kind of touch on those last couple things yes. and additional resources, but most of all, just thank you for creating this space today to talk about this, to talk about grief. I think um, that opens the door is um, creating the space and, and collaborating with organizations like Life Center and Fernside and how can we further support the families that you serve? You know, this is kind of a direct lifeline right here. Mm -hmm. Go right from, from uh, Life Center to Fernside and make those connections and um, how can we just keep moving forward together? And I think um, that's a big part of grief is we yeah. do it together and it's Absolutely. not something we're meant to do alone. And um, I just want to thank you for having Fernside on um, this podcast and having myself today. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you and um, connect today. Absolutely. And if I could just echo, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this work for 16 years now and I have met many families who have come through our doors who have then turned to Fernside for support and um, they cannot speak highly. And I mean, they just, everything that they are given going through that difficult time uh, by from Fernside has just, it's meant so much to them. And Again, going back to something you said, you know, Fernside is about helping families develop healthy coping skills because that's how you can further, you know, it's just that's the healthy thing to do because if you don't, it just can look so different, you know, as you go through the different phases of your life. So the, the work there is so important and we just appreciate everything that you and, and all of the staff there do um, for our families. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Andy. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we are gonna close out the show today and I'm just gonna remind everyone, there are more than 90,000 men, women, and children in need of life-saving kidney transplants in our country today. And that is, those are people that are husbands, wives, partners, children, um, people who are trying to live a purposeful life and fulfilling life and want to leave this world a better place for generations to come. 90,000 is a lot of people. And how can you help? Well, if you aren't registered to be a donor, I would encourage you to seek out the information, the accurate information and understand, do the homework to understand what it means to be a donor. 
You can speak with a medical professional or someone who's gone through the donation experience as either a donor family member, a recipient, or living donor. And that's really how we learn. And so I just encourage you to reach out to those resources. And you can always uh, visit our website at lifepassiton.org. So registering to be an organized tissue donor is so important. Uh, you can also explore the option of being a living kidney donor, because again, as I said, the vast majority of the people on the wait list, and we have over 110,000 people currently waiting, most of the people are in need of life-saving kidney transplants. Again, I want to thank our guest, Katie, today from Fernside and I really just want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen and just remind you to be kind to yourself and to others. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow. 